You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Nick Ryan, VP of Marketing at Calamu. Nick, it's great to have you on the program. Great to be here, Jeremy. So tell us about a memorable marketing moment from your career. Sure. Yeah, we're just jumping right in. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've, I've thought about this and all the most memorable marketing moments come back to some sort of customer story or working with a customer, you know, in some way, because that's how you really, you know, see the impact that whatever your product or service is, you know, how it's actually affecting people. And there was this one time where it was a it was a county government and they were using this technology to uh, build a process to better connect foster youth with foster parents. Right. And this was a problem they were having where, you know, they would match these people and there would be you know some sort of a problem there. So they use technology to improve that process. And I thought this is you know, this is a great story. So I brought a film crew in, you know, interviewed the people that created this process. But I also got to interview a family, a family that had used this technology, this adoption process to adopt three separate foster kids. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were just so happy. Right. So just meeting them, you know, talking to the kids, seeing how effective this had been in growing their family. You know, it was just it was a very rewarding experience. And I you know, I can honestly say that every memorable marketing moment, or at least the most memorable moments, have to do with something similar, meeting a customer and hearing their story. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's, I think that's a really great example of how, like, especially in tech or anything related to tech, so much of it is about data, right? Right. right. But at the end of the day, it's it's the people that matter, right? Ultimately, the data is on the other side of it. There are flesh and blood human beings that you're doing business with and that you're trying to help in some way. It's not just numbers, right? It's real people with real stories. Right. I think we forget that sometimes. You know, data becomes sort of this, you know, cold, neutral thing, the data, the data. And, yeah. you know, but really, what does that data represent? It represents people or represents actions you know it could be you know about people themselves it could be you know their financial information it could be identifiable information something quite personal or it could be plans to you know some new product or some new release that you know is a physical thing so i i do agree i think data tends to you know almost as a word or an idea be separated by people from you know what it actually represents and it's good to remember that you know, mm-hmm. data is something of value. It is, you know, the actual people. Absolutely. So so tell us a little bit about Calamu. What are you guys all about? Yeah, Calamu is a next-gen data protection company. And when a customer uses Calamu as a layer of security to protect their existing storage infrastructure, it makes it nearly impossible for that data to be compromised due to a cyber attack such as ransomware. And Calamu accomplishes this by creating what's called a virtual data harbor. Okay, so, and and we're gonna talk 
more, we're going to talk more about that. That term data harbor is quite interesting. And I mean, first, I just wanted to back up for a second. And I think it's relevant that before we started recording, you and I were just chatting a little bit about this massive uh, cyber attack on the country of Costa Rica, right? The entire country is basically being held hostage by cyber criminals. And so it's just yet more evidence that cybersecurity is just so massively important in the modern world, right? That's right. That's right. And we've seen attacks such of the, such as the attack that we're seeing in Costa Rica right now just grow at a completely unprecedented pace. You know, ransomware, mm-hmm. if you look even only a couple years ago, it was sort of this, you know, just emerging cyber attack or method of, you know, cyber attack where they would actually encrypt data that a company has in their possession and demand a ransom to give the keys, to give access back to that data. And over the last two years, now what we're seeing is what's called a double extortion attack. So they'll actually steal a copy of that data ahead of time. While they're still roaming around in the network undetected, they will steal a copy of that data, then encrypt the local copy. So now they have two points of leverage. They say, if you want access to your data back, you have to pay us. And if you think you can find a way around that, we're going to go ahead and take the data we stole and publish it, publish Mm. it on the dark web, we're going to sell it. We're going to do something that will really damage your reputation, you know, which ultimately for many businesses will really harm, you know, their revenue, right? And how their customers, you know, the customer faith that they have in that business. So ransomware has really become something quite evolved at this point. And this attack that we've seen this week in Costa Rica, where the entire government is essentially offline dealing with this ransomware attack really shows what a, you know, a trend that this has become. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty diabolical. It's almost like (laughs) something from like a Bond villain, you know, kind of thing. Like I, you know, I remember, it seems like back in the day and maybe I just didn't know about it, but it seemed like, you know, computer viruses, these kind of attacks were smaller scale and kind of more like, you know, oh shit, my computer has been like, I have a virus or it's been compromised and I have to, you know, clean it up. It just seems in the last, I don't know, decade or so, cyber criminals have gotten way more sophisticated, way bolder, where now they're like, yeah, let, let's go, let's go t- attack Costa Rica, a whole country and just, right. you know, freeze up everything until they do, until they give us what we want. Yeah, it's way bolder and it's also way more organized. You know, I do think that, you know, a few years ago, a decade ago, you know, further than that, even we were seeing kind of that, you know, lone attacker, the classic, you know, person in the basement, you know, out to just kind of wreak havoc. But now what we're seeing is organized crime. You know, we're seeing gangs, ransomware gangs that often are being sort of sponsored or at least given sort of, you know, safe haven by some sort of a nation state to operate. And once you get organized like that, you know, they have access to tools and technology that rivals some of the very best in the private sector. So, you know, it truly is an entirely different era when it comes to cybersecurity and protecting data, which as we talked about, you know, data is you know, is everything. Data is you and I. So it, it is kind of right. a new frontier in that regard. The world runs on data and these people are on like the cutting edge of crime, essentially cutting edge of, of 
cybercrime. So, which which spurs innovation in companies like Calamoo, right? That you sent, you you take a look and say, okay, we're dealing with a whole new level of threat. We need a whole new level of protection. And you just mentioned this concept of the data harbor, and now that's a that's a te- technology that you guys have developed. And it's also from a marketing perspective that concept that phrase is another thing you guys have developed, right? So. Give us a little context there. First of all, what is data, what is a data harbor? What does that mean? And how did you come up with that that way of talking about it, that phrase? Yeah, it, it is something new, right? And that's because Calamu and the technology that we have is entirely new. This is a different way of protecting data. And it forms this very secure, very resilient virtual storage environment. And I'll get into it in a sec, how we do that. But, you know, this environment, it needed a name. It needed a way for us to describe what this is. So what a data harbor is. Imagine you had a file. You know, we talked about, say, you know, a, uh, a list of your customer records, very valuable information. You could just store that away somewhere, you know, maybe put some security controls on it, encrypt it. But we've seen time and time again that eventually... A bad actor, actor, a hacker, is going to find their way to that information. So in a data harbor, imagine you had that same file, and now you ripped it into three separate pieces or fragments, encrypted each fragment with a different key, entirely different encryption key. Then you went off to California, you went to a bank vault and deposited one of those fragments. You went to Germany, and you deposit the second fragment in a bank there, And then you flew down to Argentina where you put the third. So now what happens if that California bank is robbed or hacked, right? What do they get? They get incomplete, encrypted, really twice encrypted, sort of useless information. It's just, it's digital sludge, right? It has no meaning to them. And that's really what a data harbor is, except replace the bank vaults with data center one, two, and three, or Mm -hmm. cloud storage provider one, two, and three. And then imagine that from anywhere in the world, you can instantly reassemble that file, use it, work on it. And when you're done, it goes right back to that protected state. And then you have a data harbor. Mm, So, So I think that really explains, you know, when you think about sort of the complexity there, but also just how, you know, unique that is, why we needed a term to describe that. Otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you easily kind of communicate with your customers, your prospects, your partners without having a way to describe that unique environment. Yeah. Okay. So, right. So you need to kind of label it and, and so you can use this sort of shorthand. Now, how did you come up with the term data harbor and specifically data? Obviously I get that, but why harbor? How did you come to, how did you choose that word in particular? We put a lot of thought into it. This was not a, you know, not a quick thing. We really put a fair amount of thought into how we describe this virtual environment. And we chose Data Harbor because of the positive connotations, right? It's a safe harbor. It's a, Mm. you know, a place where, you know, you can go and be away from kind of the dangers and risks that exist outside of that environment. So so we kind of just liked the you know, the phrasing, right? We thought it had a good sound, but, you know, that's not enough, right? To have a good sound. You have to test it. You have to know that people like it, that they'll use it. And that's something we did. It's something I call the adoption test. 
And it's quite simple. Really, you'd go, you talk to people, you talk to your prospects, your customers, even your friends and family, right? I talked about this with all sorts of friends and family. And you use it in conversation, just very conversationally. And what we found is that people were quickly repeating it back to us. They adopted mm. it as part of their own vernacular and they were referring back to us a data harbor, you know, as if it was their own way of describing it. And this told me two things. It said, one, this is a term that sticks, right? This is something that people, you know, there's some stickiness, people like it. But number two, mm -hmm. it really proved there's a need for this term. Because mm. people will always revert back to what is more, most comfortable. If they have a, another way to describe what it is that you just told them, they probably will use that more common way to describe it, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just kind of nature. You tend to stick with what you know. Right. If there's something more intuitive that just makes more intuitive sense, they'll probably default to that. Right. Especially right. if whatever term you came up with is, if it's not as intuitive, then it just won't penetrate as deeply, right? But yeah, data harbor, that, that's pretty good. Because when I think of the word harbor, I think of safe haven. Mm -hmm. A ship coming into harbor after, you know, braving the stormy seas or something like that, and you come in. It's also interesting, too, that the just the phrase data harbor alone doesn't do all the work, of course, of explaining exactly how it works. I mean, no one term does. Right. Mm -hmm. And I suppose you, you could have maybe tried to come up with a term that maybe gestured towards something like splitting data up you know, and storing it in, in different chunks or something like that. It seems like clearly you didn't do that. Instead, you went to a term that was more evocative of the concept of safety and protection. Am I, is, is that seem right? That is right. There's no, you know, there's so much that happens in a data harbor. This is a multi-step process mm -hmm. to create that fragmented state. And it, it happens quickly and automatically and you know, it's very high performance. People don't even know it's happening in the background to protect the data when you're when you're using it. But, you know, there's no quick and easy phrase to describe, you know, that multi-step process. So yeah. I feel like we, you know, we opted for something that was more evocative and kind of described the outcome rather than, you know, the process and the formation of that environment. That makes sense. I mean... You know, you, you could have gone with something like, this is not a good idea, but something like the data fragmentor or something. But that's not a good name because it was it, it makes it sound like your data is broken or something or like you're breaking right. it. And that, that doesn't have a good connotation. And at right, the end of the day, right. what you guys are really providing is security and safety. So Harbor. Exactly. Yeah. We want mm -hmm. our customers to feel confident, secure. You know, if they do wake up in the middle of the night or someone wakes them up and says, you know, we've had a ransomware attack, right? We were under attack. You know, one of the first questions that's commonly asked is, you know, how is our data? Did they get our data? Right. You know, with Calamu, you can say no, right? And so that is that feeling of safety that comes from using a data harbor. You know, and it's also, it's a state. It's a state of existence, a data harbor versus a process of forming it. So, yeah, no, I mean, you have a you have a great point, which is, you know, on its own, you know, maybe it doesn't describe the whole picture, but I think that's why it's important to consider how you use it. You know, I didn't introduce Calamu as, you know, hey, we're Calamu, we're a data harbor company, right? I mm -hmm. said, we are Calamu 
a next-gen data protection company that does these amazing things by creating a data harbor. And I think that's an important point, which is, you know, surround these new terms with terms that are readily heard and understand by your target audience in the industry. If you put it right up front and, you know, people don't understand what it is, you know, you might confuse them or even worse, they might see it as marketing speak, right. you know, and then they're, they're out the door after that. So, you know, a lot of it comes down to how we use it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How you contextualize it, how you package it. Uh, right. for, for different segments of your audience, no doubt. Okay, a couple quick questions here at the end to wrap things up. So what's been your main focus so far in Q2? Yeah, Q2 is all about growth, right? So we're a growing company. We're actually growing quite quickly. So hiring, we have a number of open roles and we're looking to you know build our team, bring on some top talent, but we also have some amazing product features in development. And from a marketing standpoint, of course, you know, raising awareness of this technology, of our business and building those connection with prospective customers, right? People that are looking to improve their security and their data protection, you know, generating leads essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what about the rest of the year? What, what do you and your team hope to accomplish by the end of 2022? Continuing to raise awareness. You know, it is a noisy space, cybersecurity. We have this amazing technology. So it's important that you get out there, you have an opinion, you comment on these things that are happening in this highly dynamic industry to raise awareness of, you know, not just your product, but the expertise that you have in-house, you know, that your team has. And ultimately, our mission is to make the cyber world a safer place for everyone. So as we work with more customers and help them to protect the data under in their environment, we get closer and closer to fulfilling that mission. Awesome. Well, it's a, a great mission. It seems like you guys are well on your way. So Nick, thanks for spending time with me and with our audience. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be here. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.